Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Diving Into the End Zone. Dominic Arbolino here. Alex Warner is here as well, as usual. Let's get right into things because we have a lot to talk about. Got a lot of sports happening, got a lot of football happening, especially right now as we speak because of everything that's going on with COVID 19 and some of the schedule changes that are needed to be made. We have a game that's happening right now that is the Washington football team taking on the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers at 11 0. So we're going to update you throughout that. Alex, can I get a score on the game as of right now? Commercial break, Dom. Commercial break? Yep, but the score is 17-10. to 10. The Washington football team has the ball at the 50-yard line. So we will update you pretty much throughout the rest of the fourth quarter if any scoring changes happen. And then obviously the conclusion of the game because it's either going to be a huge upset by the Washington football team or Pittsburgh is going to be continuing their undefeated season which many, has, you know, many people have considered maybe weak because of their schedule, but we'll get to that later when the game concludes. So let's start out with getting to the New York Jets. They had a tragic loss yesterday against the Las Vegas Raiders. Some say tragic, some may not. Yeah, some say tragic, some say a let's keep savior. That first, let's keep that first overall pick. Yeah, exactly. This, uh, you know, Maybe a, a save for the future of the franchise. Jets defensive coordinator today. Greg Williams was fired after the horrendous play call on the last play of the game that cost the Jets their first win of the season. And now linebackers coach Frank Bush is going to be taken over as the interim defensive coordinator. Now, if any of you were watching the game, I mean, pretty much Greg Williams decided to engage eight on a clear Hail Mary, every wide receiver streak down the field and, you know, hope you get open type situation. And when you have Henry Ruggs as one of the wide receivers, who's arguably one of the fastest guys in the NFL in just his first year, going up against a undrafted rookie cornerback in Lamar Jackson, not the guy you're thinking of, you would have to expect the worst there. And even Adam Gase came you know, in many press conferences today, because of course the Jets have been all over the news, not only because of the firing, but just because of the complete disaster that happened at the end of the game. But Adam Gates was saying that, you know, he wished he would have called a timeout. And really, because that play was not a good one to make, it cost him the game. Adam Gates was very, very pissed off. And he made sure of it to all of the, you know, all, during the press conference today. And, you know, this is a move that I guess had to be made. But it's almost like, could it be a cover-up for a play that maybe, you know, Greg Williams called intentionally for the future of the franchise? It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, I don't want to say cover-up, but it's more of a scapegoat. Because uh, I, I was, watch, after watching that play, obviously after I jumped up in joy and just took a minute to breathe it in. I was like, I I was thinking to myself, like, I've seen that done before, like, on a Hail Mary type play. Like, if someone sent, like, it all out, but it's like that. And it turns out it was Greg Williams when he was with the Cleveland Browns. And it actually worked. Like, the quarterback was expecting a typical man up, three deep type of play. Greg Williams, while he was with the Browns, called an all-out blitz, and the quarterback could not roll out of the pocket to throw the Hail Mary. He was in the pocket and got sacked, and the game was over because they had no timeouts. Similar situation, and it worked. And I remember because I was like, I know I saw this before, and I didn't realize it was Greg Williams, but like they applauded it. They go, this is such a you know, bold move. You know, No quarterback would ever expect an all-out blitz in that situation. You get the sack, you know, time runs out, the game's over. He doesn't even have a chance for anything else. But 
maybe not the best idea, like you said, when you have an undrafted free agent cornerback uh, who no, no one's ever heard of, maybe only heard of him because he has the same name as the reigning NFL MVP. And then same thing on the other side. You got a bunch of. I mean, the only guy who was in good coverage really was Marcus May, which, which we'll is get, expected. Which we'll get to in a second with him. But yeah, I mean, realistically, it was a terrible call. Also, could have been played a lot better by the cornerbacks on the field. The guy doesn't like. He's obviously not running a curl route when you need a touchdown to win the game. It's like when you're playing backyard football and it's fourth and goal. Everybody just stands in the end zone. Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you have to know he's not running a short route there. And I'm not even a fan, too, of thinking that, like, you know, this whole situation could be a cover-up for this play that was called. Like, in my eyes, I think Greg Williams just made a bad play call because, here's the thing, going forward for the future of this franchise, obviously, the main thing that they want to keep going is that they have the first overall pick to be able to draft. Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson if he does enter the draft, which is expected to happen. Now, the reason why I don't like this and all, all this criticism, like, again, you can criticize it for being a bad call, but I don't think it's a, it was a scapegoat or anything because Greg Williams, realistically, is not going to be a part of the future of this team. You know, I, I guess in his eyes, you got to, you know, maybe think like that, but I think he is smart enough to know that once the season is over, if he didn't get fired today, that he would have got fired along with the rest of the coaching staff after the season because Joe Douglas is going to hire his own guy and they're going to build their own staff together. So it's not that he was going to be a part of the future and it's like, okay, I'm thinking smart. Like, I'm going to call a bad play call to lose this game so, you know, the offense can get better. We get this generational talent at quarterback and then, you know, we're set going forward. He's probably not thinking that way because, you know, he... No job is secured in the NFL, especially when you're about to go 0-12. No, I mean, I only say scapegoat for the same reason as, like like you said, obviously he's gone after the season. So is Gase. But, like, it's a scapegoat in the terms of the fact that they didn't have to fire him right now, but to doing so takes all the attention off all the negative things that are going on with this football team and pretty much solely on Greg Williams and that one play only. Adam Gase has made... Terrible calls on offense. This is week true. in, week out. He was not fired, obviously, but this is more so a scapegoat just to take the attention off of. To be fair, Adam Gase, and it, it did yeah. rightfully so. He has nothing to worry about right now. You didn't, you don't hear any uh, reporters clowning him about who's calling the plays this week because that's not where the attention is. The attention lies in Greg Williams in the last play. So, like I said, I don't think it's a scapegoat in the fact that you know to blame him for what's going on, but so much as just to draw the attention away from what it should be on. Yeah. And, you know, just speaking of, you know, going off that point, Adam Gase this year as a head coach, I mean, obviously his team's zone 12, his offense ranks in the worst. 33rd probably. Like the worst category of every, you know, offensive stat you can really look into. And I just... It amazes me that he hasn't been fired up to this point. But again, I have to look at it in a sense that, I mean, this could not even be what they're thinking, but Adam Gase gives them the best chance to go 0-16. So I think that's what Joe Douglas is going with. Because I want to believe that if Joe Douglas was to walk into Christopher Johnson's office and say, listen, we need to get Adam out of here, he would listen. And I, I feel like Joe Douglas is just not doing that right now. 
There's so much drama already, and there's not an actual really replacement for this head coaching position. The only one that could have been an actual head coach for Adam Gase if he was to get fired was Greg Williams, who is now not a part of the team. So Adam Gase is definitely not getting fired for the next four weeks of the season. He's going to be there, and, you know, we're going to see what happens. But I believe Alex has an update on the game because he is watching from my TV. Yeah, uh, the Redskins just tied the game. Alex Smith, the former quarterback, Logan Thomas, they tied the game up at 17 with nine minutes remaining in the fourth. I was just waiting for the extra point to go through because you never know with these kickers, honestly. Yeah, kickers are definitely not what they used to be back in the NFL where if you knew they were coming on to kick a field goal, it was an automatic make. Now you're... Uh, not so much you know that. Kickers have always been questionable, but now the extra point is actually a field goal and not just an extra point. Okay, yes, but I feel like, again, kickers back then were a lot more reliable than they are now. I feel like you've really seen the kicking position fall off. I feel like there was a lot of top guys back then. I mean, maybe there I mean, was obviously one there was... or two guys, but I just don't think there was that, that much attention to the kickers back then. The, the way social media and the That's news true. outlets are nowadays, you do one thing and it's scrutinized to all ends. That's why I think... I mean, just this... look at Cody Parkey. Yeah. I mean, obviously that was in a crucial moment where the Chicago right. Bears could have won that playoff game, but you know now yeah. the double dunk... Double doink. Double doink is going to be living on forever in history that he definitely is going to want to forget. Yeah. But I want to also, you know, go to your point that you brought up in terms of talking about Marcus May because this is a guy that is a clear-cut leader in that locker room. He's been a standout on the defense, probably the best defensive player this year, and he definitely deserves it because his play ever since he entered the, you know, the league in 2017 has been, you know, he he's only improved. Mm-hmm. And this is a guy that, you know, every week there's class. He, you know, is just doing everything he needs to, minding his own business, not getting too, you know, too involved with anything. And then okay. finally you see him kind of maybe jump out of that comfort zone a little. I still think the media was kind of blowing it up a little bit from the videos that you saw. Because Connor Hughes of SNY was, you know, tweeting how he was just constantly going at Greg Williams. And like... Maybe, yeah, a little bit, but the way that he was tweeting about it made it seem like that mm-hmm. Marcus May was furious, where it was kind of just, he was more like, more monotone, disappointed, yeah. just like, you know, kind of wanted to get the press the, conference yeah. over with. He's one of the more, one of the more uh, level-headed stars, you'll see, who doesn't really care about the stats or the, I mean, obviously he wants to win, everybody wants to win, but he doesn't care about, you know, being on the posters, you know, being in the team photos, you know, being all in the media like someone we've seen in New York before. You know, he's kind of, you know, not going to yell at the media. He's not going to yell at his teammates on the sideline. You're not going to see something like that out of him. He's, an, he's a steady leader, and he's the guy. He's the, he's the veteran presence that you that everybody talks about in the NFL. But he's, he's still young. He's on his, still on his rookie contract, and he's a great player. So hopefully they do extend him because he's playing well, and he is obviously the leader in the team right now. Yeah, 100%. I mean... I think if there's one thing you're going to be doing if you're Joe Douglas once, you know, offseason hits, you're going to be talking with Marcus May and his agent about getting a contract extension done. Uh, you might have to pay a little more than you would like because, again, this is a New York Jets team that is probably going to go 0-16, and Marcus May has had plenty of bad seasons with this team. So I'm sure he would like to go somewhere else, but he does have a home here. Fans love him, and the locker room loves him, and I think it would be great for Joe Douglas to be able to get him back. Especially also another thing for Joe Douglas, too. You think about it in terms of last offseason, one of the fan favorites in Robbie Anderson was let go. He ended up signing with the Carolina Panthers, and obviously he's doing great this year. But a lot of fans were mad about that one. If Joe Douglas manages to let Marcus May go, then there's really going to be a problem. 
Because fans, especially New York fans, love to turn on people like that. And if there's one thing that you want to do is that's for sign Marcus May because he is 100% the fan favorite right now. Everybody has been watching him ball out and cheering him on pretty much all the way. But I want to bring up a point since, you know, we're really in this topic about the New York Jets here, how... Today, kind of once the news broke about Greg Williams, you know, I'm the type of person that I'm always sending the notifications out to all the group chats I can that involve sports talk because, you know, I just like to be that way. And I mentioned to, you know, send it in a group chat that is for my show that I do on Tuesdays at uh, my old college, Nassau Community College. They have a radio station there. I'm back there doing a show there on Tuesdays. So I pretty much I just wanted to show them and talk about it. One of my good friends from there, Eric Fischetti, you know, give a little mention. He brought up the point, you know, that pretty much he understands why Jeff fans want the team to lose, but he doesn't agree with it. And now, you know, and I wanted to just bring up this point because he doesn't under, like he doesn't understand the rooting to lose. And I said, I simply said it to him. I'll read the text message. I said, Eric, if you win that game, you mess up the future of your franchise. And then he goes and says, winning fixes everything. I understand why you want Trevor Lawrence. Believe me, I did too. He's a Giants fan, but obviously they're not in that position anymore. We'll get to that a little bit later as well. But he said, I cannot get behind rooting for my favorite team to lose. Uh, And then he said, you know, he was saying that they threw the game and made it obvious, which, again, I really don't think is the case. I think it's just a bad call. And Uh, Yeah, bad call and a horrible play by the cornerback. And then, again, I to respond. To also respond, is, is go ahead. Going unlooked is there was two de- at least one or two defensive players that had Derek Carr all all but wrapped up, and they let him slide up in the pocket. So they got to make that tackle too. But pretty much going on the point is that I'll just continue to really read the series of text messages that I had with him because I I wanted to make sure to bring this up today. Um, you know, I, he was saying how you know again winning fixes everything, and I said winning does not fix everything when your head coach is Adam Gase and the roster isn't good. And again, they are now zero and twelve. You know, at this point, lose those last four. There's no reason to get a win. Like, yeah, I feel so bad for this locker room. They played their hearts out yesterday, and I really like a lot of the younger players that they have on this team. They have a lot of potential in some of the players, and I want to see them do well, and they have been, but they just can't capitalize on a win, and I feel for them because I can only imagine being in a locker room that is winless. That, you know, all the energy is probably so dead and... It's got to be awful, but the thing is, is that for the future of this franchise, looking at it from this point of view, they need to lose. They need to lose. Trevor Lawrence, as we talked about, is the next big thing. Getting compared to John Elway, Peyton Manning, and Andrew Luck in terms of a generational talent at the quarterback position, a clear-cut number one pick, no matter who has the who has that pick. It's just something that the Jets... There has been so much bad luck and history with this team that they need to not mess this up. It is crystal clear. I don't understand how anybody, any Jet fan, could want the Jets to come out with a win or see that. You know, if you're an analyst, if you're out there saying the Jets, you know, it really stinks that they didn't win that game or whatever, is it's just a bad take, and you're just not seeing it from the Jets organization as a you know from their perspective. It's just, it doesn't make sense to me. 
And he and then he made the point that New York football has not treated us kindly the last few years, and I could see how it has lasting effects on you. And I said, it's not even that. At this point, there's four four more weeks to go. There's no point to win. Just secure the best draft position, and then go from there. Because I I you know I said I can't emphasize enough how much a win would be hurting this franchise for the future. Yeah. Do you agree in terms of that point? Like I, I understand you're a Jets fan too, so I, I'm gonna go ahead and guess that you probably do agree. I but mean, it's not, just yeah. like it's I'm so idiotic by them, some of these people. I'm not rooting for them to look terrible and be a disgrace, or have their players get hurt by any means. But it's more beneficial to lose than win. So, not necessarily rooting for them to lose, but I'm not upset about it. Yeah, like at this point, like I'm saying, like it. You, if they're 0 4, like let's say earlier in the season when they were, I was still rooting for them to win because the opportunity of maybe making the playoffs could still be there. Or at least have hope that they can maybe pull out a win or yeah, something. Especially with three wild card teams now. Yeah, exactly. You, you really never know. No. But now they're and, and now 0 12. I'm going to root for them to lose as much as I want. And yeah, yeah, you mentioned last week about the locker room, how demoralizing it probably was after losing that game the way they did. I mean, they're probably going to get slaughtered next week because they just don't. Like they're gonna come out so lifeless and just don't give a, don't give a crap about the game and it's just gonna be it's gonna be bad probably I think. Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially that they're going up against Seattle, which now you have a little bit. There's no such. There's not gonna be a rivalry at all because they don't play him enough. But obviously you have Jamal Adams on the other side. I'm sure he's gonna be really looking forward to playing the Jets. Even though he said he's not thinking about that, we all know Jamal Adams definitely is. But they're just the Seattle Seahawks are coming off a loss against the New York Giants that, again, we'll get into after this. But, you know, they are in a position where they need to win this game and they're definitely going to make sure of it. And I'm just terrified to see DK Metcalf going up against, what is it, again, Lamar Jackson, Bryce Hall, Javelin Goodry, who made some good plays. Mm -hmm. But just going back to the point, again, of rooting for them to lose, like you said, we're hoping for them to be in games. We don't want them to get blown out. We don't want anybody to get hurt. We want them to look good. And they have a lot of young players that have been, starting off with Mekhi Becton. Quinton Williams has been fantastic this year. A lot of people thought, oh, this guy's a bust. He's done. He's really improved. Like, I can't even say it enough. Like, he's been really good this season. Probably has the chance to make the Pro Bowl. I think he should, definitely. John Franklin Myers, who was a waiver pickup from the Rams last year, has been really good on the edge. Um, Denzel Mims has looked good. LaMichael Piran, when he's played, looked good. I want to see these younger players and maybe potential pieces for the future do well. Ty Johnson looked good today. I mean, not today, but yesterday. When Josh he, Adams, too. Yeah, when, it, Frank, when Frank Gore went out and you actually had a running back who runs underneath a 540. It looked pretty good. He had over 100 <laughs> yards and a touchdown. <laughs> I feel so bad for Frank Gore because he gets so much trash from us and especially just Jeff fans all around just because don't get me wrong in the prime of his career is a great running back he had a great career but that career is over, over. and he 100%. needs to realize that so yeah and you know again but you just think about it they have some potential I want to see them do well but at the same time I want them to lose games because I don't want them to risk the future of this franchise and it's just something that we'll see what happens for the future. And since I mentioned the show, I'll just bring it up again. WHPC Sports Talk, Tuesdays, 4 to 5, 90.3 WHPC. If you are in the metropolitan area, you can hear that. I'll be hosting the show. Eric Fischetti, who I mentioned, will be there as well. Maybe one day we'll get him on the podcast. Very knowledgeable about football and sports as a whole. 
He's a big Giants fan. He's very happy with the way they've been playing. So let's get into that right now. The New York football Giants have managed to win four straight. The most impressive win coming, like I mentioned before, against the Seattle Seahawks by a score of 17-12. to And what's more impressive about this, too, is that they didn't have their starting quarterback out there due to a hamstring injury. They had the Texas Longhorns legend, Colt McCoy. Yeah. And they managed to beat the Seattle Seahawks. And you want to know why? Their defense. Their defense managed to play great. So before I get into how I'm going to blow it about the Giants defense, I want to get Alex in. I want to get your thoughts on this game um, and the New York Giants. Obviously, the Giants are playing very well. When they started this winning streak, they had zero wins. But they were still only a game back in the division. Unfortun- not unfortunately, but good for them, obviously. But for football and sports, it's, 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 yeah, it's not... Unfortunate for fans. But it is what it is. They were only a game and a half back, and they're playing very well right now. They, they, I mean, even in the games they lost at the beginning of the year, they played pretty well. And like the Jets, you know, they it were in close games. But obviously, we have a couple of giant friend, fans as friends as well, and got to the point where it was us against them rooting who's going to get Trevor Lawrence because they had, they had opened the door and said Daniel Jones have a nice day. We want Trevor Lawrence. But they've won a bunch in a row, stringing them together. And, yeah, by far, Seattle was the most impressive win. But at the same time, Seattle started off, what, 6-0, and 6-1, 7-1, and they've kind of looked a little sluggish here lately. Um, not looked too good down the stretch. I think injuries, too, have been the biggest problem for them. I mean, in terms of the running back position, we all know that Seattle Seahawks has started, you know, just in the past couple of years, they've started a lot of no-name running backs because just of injuries and not having the depth there. And that was kind of, you know, a problem for them at first. They're finally all healthy again, but I know some of the guys on the defense is beat up. So you're wondering if the Seattle Seahawks are going to get back to their groove. And it all starts with next week against the New York Jets. So I think that's a good good start off to kind of, you know, let's get things going and make this deep postseason run that they plan on doing because they do have the talent to do that. But just going off the topic of, the, you know, on the New York Giants, the Giants defense has been so impressive this year. They ranked 10th as in, in yards given up. I want to say, and then I, I forgot exactly what it is, but they're ranked 3rd and 4th in terms of some other defensive stat. That's on me for not, know, for not knowing the exact details. But they have been an impressive defense to watch. And it just shows that, you know, again, defense wins football games. Defense wins championships. That's what everybody loves to say. And, you know, it, it's true. They have... They really hit on free agent signings of James Bradbury and Blake Martinez, who everyone thought was a questionable signing just because of the money. But Dave Gettleman is, you know, looking like a genius right now. And even though he doesn't have many of those moments, but he is for signing Bradbury and Martinez because they've been some of the top players on that defense. Dalvin Tomlinson has looked good. Leonard Williams has and managed again, to look. I was about to say Leonard Williams, another questionable move by Gettleman, giving up a third round pick. For a defensive end who seemed to be a surefire bust, but he's played well for the, he's got what, eight, nine sacks, something like that? Yeah. And then also, you know, right off the bat, too, the Giants weren't playing well. Many managed to judge the hire of, no pun intended, Joe Judge. And, you know, everyone is so fast to judge things, especially in New York, where it's just like they never let anything play out. And, you know, maybe we're a victim of that, too. We do it sometimes, just strictly of being a New York fan, that's really how we were born and raised. 
But the New York Giants managed to pull out a win against one of the better teams in the NFL. And I kind of been saying this for a while. I thought the Giants were the best team overall in terms of just in looking at it in the NFC East. I mean, Carson Wentz and the Eagles have been beat up all year, and they're really not the same team they were when they made the playoffs. The Washington football team, again, everyone really didn't have high hopes for. And then the Dallas Cowboys, were, you know, they were really, everyone was projecting to be the clear-cut winner because, again, Dak Prescott was healthy. But even when Dak Prescott was healthy, they weren't playing well, and that's because of the defense because the defense is god-awful. They can't cover at all. And they are definitely 100% the worst defense in the NFL. They've given up so many points this year, it's insane. But the Giants, I think, have the best roster overall. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what they can do in the playoffs. I understand, again, that it's they shouldn't even be in a position to make the playoffs. But right. the NFC East is just that bad that they are. But I think they might... Or could capitalize on the opportunity of making the playoffs, depending on who they're versing, just because of how good their defense is. And you would just, you would think, like, imagine if Saquon Barkley didn't tear his ACL uh, week two against the Chicago Bears. But, you know, games I just want to bring up that they could have won, but they lost. And just think about how different this season could have been for the New York Giants. So we'll start where I just finished off in terms of talking about the Chicago Bears. They managed to lose that game 17-13. It's definitely one that, you know, they were in and could have. I remember watching the Rams game against the Giants. They won that 17 to 19, but they, you know, the Giants could have won that one. The Cowboys uh, against the Eagles on Thursday Night Football, they managed to blow it. And then also the Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. That's four wins that you could have swapped out. And then look at that season so far. I know that's asking for a lot, but they Eight had so many opportunities that lost. Yeah. But I'm excited for this New York, you know, this Giants team. Right. And speaking of the division, the uh, Redskins just took, I mean, sorry, the football team just took a th- uh, three-point lead with a field goal. Two minutes left to play in oh, the wow. fourth. Look at that. Maybe an upset special Bruin. Philip Seiss, one of our friends, will give him a little shout-out there. He's a Pittsburgh Steelers fan. Uh, pretty much, I believe, on Saturday night, the NFL always before the Sunday matchups, they post to their story, like, you know, who is going to win, and you get the pick, you know, whatever, on their Instagram stories. And I told Phil how I picked Washington to beat Pittsburgh because I thought, you know, I really like Washington as a team, how they've been playing as of late. And, you know, I just thought, you know, maybe there's a chance because Pittsburgh, again, like, you know, some people say are a weaker, undefeated team, whatever the case is. Right, so they have two minutes, five seconds, so they have the two-minute warning and one timeout to go down the field to get a field goal to tie, or a touchdown to win. And let's not forget, too, they're not even, they don't even have Chris Boswell out there right now. I don't know exactly who the kicker is, because, but when I was watching before we started, they don't have Chris Boswell. So let me figure out who that is right now, because I want to figure out. I think he was a rookie, too. Yeah, you see these kickers come out of nowhere all the time. I mean... Let me look at the Jets starting Sergio Castillo. Who... It's a pick. The Redskins just got a pick. The Redskins have the ball at their Steelers 25-yard line. Uh-oh. It was a deflected pass, popped in the air, and Big Ben threw a costly interception. All right, so that makes this game very interesting. If the 
Washington football team managed to come out with a touchdown here. I think you could say it's pretty wrapped up. They'll have a 10-point lead I mean, with less than two minutes left. How many timeouts does Pittsburgh have? Pittsburgh has one, and that brought it to the two-minute warning. So even if they kick the field goal here, they, Pittsburgh needs a touchdown. Washington can kill about a minute 30 off the clock. So they're looking at 25, 30 seconds left to go 75 yards for a touchdown. Ideally, though, you would love to punch in a touchdown right here. And I'm but assuming... I mean, I, don't, I can't see them being too aggressive here when a field goal all but wins the game. Yeah, especially that, again, the Steelers, like you said, only have one timeout. Uh-huh. So the they'll Reds, probably rely on the right. run. Let and the, the clock. Redskins have a competent defensive coordinator, so they're probably not going to blitz too much. Yeah, no, you're not going to see any uh, engage eight. You're going to see some man up three deeps, but... Right now, we're looking at it. The Pittsburgh Steelers' undefeated season might be over. And we'll keep you updated with that. But, yeah, and I just quickly going back to the New York Giants. I mean, Daniel Jones is a guy that at first, you know, was really making some questionable decisions. But at the same time, you saw a lot of talent in some of the throws he was making. Using his legs a little more now. Yes, and I, I think now, next year... In the offseason, you have to get you know just a couple more pieces around him. You're going to get a healthy and ready for a comeback. Saquon Barkley, I think that's going to be able to help out your team a lot, definitely. One of the top running backs in the league. And I think you just have to look and hope everything goes well with them. I think the pl- a playoff experience is going to be good. Even after a bad season, whatever the case is, a bad division, all playoff experience is always good. So we'll see what happens there for the New York Giants. And we'll obviously be covering them. For the rest of the way, especially when we get into the playoffs, since they are probably going to be winning that division. Because even if Washington does with does win this game, the Giants beat the football team twice already. So it's really not looking likely for really anybody to kind of get a chance at the division other than the Dallas Cowboys. Because they are going to be playing the Giants later in the season, but they're going to need to pick up a huge win against the Baltimore Ravens tomorrow. That will be airing, I believe, at 5 o'clock. And the Ravens just got Lamar Jackson back off of the COVID-19 reserve list. So we're going to keep waiting for this game to finish up. But while we do that, we'll get into our next topic, and then that topic might have to be cut off, cut short because of what's going on in this game right now. But then we'll make sure to get back to it after. So let's continue our talk here on... Diving into the end zone, if you forgot, but you never know. You can just look down at your bottom of your screen and realize you're listening to Diving into the End Zone. And that shout out goes to Charlie. Charlie Perlmutter, our friend, who's always like, Do you ever make sure to constantly bring up our the name? And I'm like, Charlie, come on. It's a podcast. They know what they're listening to. Let's get to Christian McCaffrey now. Set to return for this week's matchup against the Denver Broncos. But here's the thing though. Although they're getting McCaffrey back, the Panthers placed wide receivers DJ Moore and Curtis Samuel on the COVID-19 reserve list, along with outside linebacker Shaq Thompson, defensive tackle Derek Brown, and four other players along with that. So just when the NFL is finally getting out of Thanksgiving week of that awful, awful week with COVID-19, thanks Panthers the now... Ravens. Yeah, thanks to the Baltimore Ravens. The Panthers now have eight players on the COVID-19 reserve list. Again, this doesn't mean they may be tested positive for COVID-19, but they're in the vicinity of somebody who had it and were deemed high risk, so they must go on the list. It's just the NFL rule and the safety protocols for all the players and people involved with these games. But getting Christian McCaffrey back is a huge boost for the Carolina Panthers offense. 
even though the Panthers are in a situation where they're 4-8 and eight and tied for third in the NFC South Division. So you're really probably not going to see any playoffs hopes there. But just looking at it in terms of you're able to get Christian McCaffrey back, get him some reps towards the end of the season, and hope to just build on this season you know, going into next year. Because I, you know, the Panthers, I thought, looked pretty good this year for the players they had. Again, obviously not making the playoffs is something that is unfortunate for Matt Rule in his first year of being an NFL head coach. But I think they made a good move in hiring him. That they have a lot of good pieces around Teddy Bridgewater. And I'm really interested to seeing what this team could be doing forward. But if we're going to talk about Christian McCaffrey, we must talk about fantasy. And if you are a Christian McCaffrey fantasy owner, as am I, you must be ecstatic if you are making the playoffs because now you are finally getting Christian McCaffrey back. But let's just hope that he doesn't get hurt again because he's you know loves to do that this season. Yeah, I mean, you like to think if he gets even one more little injury, the, the record's sitting at four and eight. They're gonna be like, all right, Christian, it's time for you to you know yeah. sit out. There's no need no to risk anything. We don't want to make sure you know you're one of the top running backs in the league. We don't want to risk an injury that's gonna be lasting any longer. Yep, we're paying you way too much, and uh, we don't want to <laughs> we don't want to risk that because you know clearly we, as we've seen this season, Christian Mike Davis can do the same things you can do. But yeah, I mean, then again. Christian McCaffrey is, you know, an all-time fantasy player that he manages, you know, he averages like 25 points per game. Now, yeah, it was just like 30 points a game. <laughs> Something I want to bring up to you, though, and just because, you know, we do talk about fantasy football a little bit, and since we have the time for it right now, you look at, you know, the top five picks in a majority of fantasy leagues this year, even having just like, do you think it really is special to have a top five pick in fantasy? As it maybe it used to be, I mean, definitely. I mean, you look at this year; even still, the top of the draft. It was, regardless of what happens of the season, it was. Uh, it was McCaffrey, McCaffrey Barkley, uh, Kamara, and Zeke. In you know, th- probably Michael Thomas. You could say probably at five. McCaffrey and Barkley were pretty much one and two in every draft, and then Zeke and Kamara. You can flip flop either way, pretty much. Yeah. But I'm saying though, like, and but like, what? Back to my point is, after that, it just falls off. Like, obviously, Dalvin Cooks has been the number one running back for quite some time now. But like, everyone knew it was there, but he always got hurt. So it was kind of like it was the top four running backs, and then it was the next tier almost. So like, yeah, it definitely helps to have an advantage if you know you if if that guy stays healthy, and he you know puts it putting up those twenty twenty five points per game. Yeah, definitely an advantage. My whole thing though with this though is that you know. One, I think Derrick Henry also, in terms of looking at next year, in terms of top five fantasy players, I think you might even see him up there because he's just clearly a beast and is really unstoppable. But the thing is the Browns did a good job with that. Yeah. McCaffrey is injured. You know, he got injured this year. Injuries can always happen. I I mean, I know it's football, so that's a guarantee, but... I I just, I'm I'm in this situation where I feel like really it, it doesn't really matter where you pick you know you're gonna get a good player otherwise and no matter what injuries are always a possibility you know I I feel like I guess yeah like you said you do have an advantage but if you're picking one and two you know that advantage is was lost early in the season because McCaffrey and Barkley both went down obviously Barkley was a lot worse because he's out for the rest of the year but having those one and two picks you thought like all right perfect I'm set up good I have this advantage but now it's all lost Right. I mean, you look at guys like uh, James Robinson, Antonio Gibson, who weren't even drafted close to the top 10 rounds. 
James Robinson wasn't even drafted probably, in most leagues. Mostly probably not drafted. I think um, another guy who's went off this year was Aaron Jones. Probably wasn't a first-round pick in most year, yeah. in most leagues, as well as Austin Eckler. The guy who's a PPR machine, gets 12 catches a game. Probably wasn't a first-round pick in most leagues either. So, I mean, yeah, you're going to get a good running back either way. But if you can get a guy like McCaffrey and Barkley to stay healthy, it's a big advantage, especially when you pick at the front end of yeah. the first round for the most part. You get rounds two and three in the snake draft right right after each other. is a big plus. And to be honest, I, I kind of agree with your side, at, you know, but I, I'm just trying to make a point for the other side because I did see the reason why I brought this up to begin with is because I saw an Instagram post saying, like, is it worth it? And I was just reading through the comments and seeing everybody debate and everything. So I wanted to just bring us up now. But again, yeah, you're definitely, like you said, a healthy McCaffrey and Barkley is definitely huge for you to have. But no, I mean, it's definitely a plus. But I mean, I'll put it like this. Um, for the most part, uh, you don't win your fantasy football leagues in the first round or even the second round. But for the most part, those guys are going to be pretty similar. I, w- I say this. You can't win in the first or second round. You can definitely lose your draft if you just come either, you know, either have a McCaffrey or Barkley out for the year or you just draft the wrong guy. But you, you win your draft in the later rounds and when you pick the sleepers and whatnot and, you know, the players who aren't expected to do so well. Like in both my leagues, I had, the, I had the 13th pick out of 14th in one league and I had the 11th pick out of 12th in the other league. And I'm pro- projected right now, assuming the games hold tonight to be in the playoffs in both leagues. Yep. And speaking of the game that is going on now, just to keep you updated, Dustin Hopkins, the kicker for the Washington football team, managed to put one through the uprights. It's 23-17 to 17 with 17 seconds to go. 17 that... seconds, and Big Ben just completed a pass to Ebron who failed to get out of the bounds, and they could not spike the ball. The game is over. The Washington football team has upset the undefeated Pittsburgh Steelers. And there you have it. I'm going to give myself a little pat on the back there because, again, I said it. I don't know what it is about this Washington football team, but with Alex Smith playing pretty decent at quarterback, you know, look at look at what everything's going on. The defense, Chase Young, Montez Sweat, great combo there. Secondary has been playing better. It's unfortunate to see. I'm sure a lot of people are going to be really talking bad about the Steelers going forward. I want to say a word that I can't say, but <laughs> I'm not going to, clearly. But, I mean, there you have it. The Steelers finally lose. Again, a lot of people looking at the Pittsburgh Steelers this year were saying they were one of the weaker undefeated teams. I want to say this, though. Clearly, this shows it. Fine. I think you could say that they were one of the weaker undefeated teams because they did have an easier schedule. But at the same time, I didn't like that point because going undefeated is something that no matter what your schedule is, it's hard to do in the NFL because anything can happen in the NFL. But, you know, it's just something I want to look at and really bring up because going undefeated is such a hard thing to do where I applaud the Pittsburgh Steelers for doing it this long. They're still going to get hate for it and whatever the case is, because the media will never let it die, along with some fans. But an impressive win for the Washington football team. But at the same time, I feel like Washington football fans are not kind of happy about this, because they're just ruining the draft stock. Because they're clearly, again, I don't think they're going to be in a position to win the playoffs, because the Giants have that advantage over them. But anyways, this is the first win for Washington against the Steelers in 29 years. 
Yep. Uh, yeah, I just saw that pop up. And uh, just a little side note as well. We've talked about this on the show before. Uh, people thought that Big Ben might be winning comeback player of the year because he was 11-0 and with his Pittsburgh Steelers, not Alex Smith, who went through massive leg surgeries to come back two years later. But in the head-to-head matchup, Alex Smith and his Washington football team takes down the Pittsburgh Steelers and Big Ben. So if there was uh, a little bit of a, a tug-of-rope going on with the comeback player of the year, maybe Alex Smith takes the lead with this head-to-head victory over Big Ben. Yeah. And, oh, man, this, this is insane. I, I, I'm going to be honest. Like, I thought they, I mean, they really had a good chance to go 16-0. and this is kind of crazy. I really didn't expect this. Like I, I know I, I said I predicted it. I, you know, fine. But at the same time, I'm still kind of in shock that that just actually managed to happen. I mean, you, you also have to consider the two weeks they've had with all the COVID nonsense. They played a game on Tuesday. Had the I'm pretty sure, yeah. I saw. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. But the play-by-play announcer of the game today said that they played three games and or yeah, three games in a matter of twelve days. I think. No, that's got to be wrong. I don't know though. Because, all right, let's say you have this Monday, and then... Maybe. So, last Monday to this Monday is six games, and then next Sunday, six plus seven is 13. So, yeah. Yeah. Three games in 13 days. That's a lot of football in that time span. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, the Redskins had 11 days to prepare for this, because they played on Thanksgiving. The Steelers were supposed to play on Thanksgiving, and they did not. But the Steelers had... I mean... Steelers, yeah, had five days, and the Redskins had 11, which is more than twice as much time as they did to prepare for this game. But they ultimately did not prevail, and they lost the game. And then also, you know, you brought up Eric Ebron not being able to get out of bounds. It obviously was a crucial mistake. But Eric Ebron, too, looking at it just in terms of the whole entire game, he was making a lot of drops. He had three crucial drops in the first half and then you know the color commentator was pretty much saying how you know one of these drops can maybe turn into a pick or something you know because two of them I believe got popped up into the air could have been grabbed but you know Eric Ebron did not play a good game and now also let's not forget to to end the half I don't know if you saw it because I know I don't know if you were at work or you were managed to get home Alex but there was eight seconds left, and the clock technically should have kept running because Alex Smith got sacked in the backfield, but they ran Dustin Hopkins on to kick a field goal. Now, the officials ruled that the clock was stopped on their call because they needed to get the kicking ball on the field. Which is, pro- which is how it should be. It's how it should be, but in as the commentators were saying, in that moment, you should just use the ball that they were playing with, but the reason why they couldn't was because Alex Smith either intentionally or mistakenly ran off ran off the field with that ball. So then that allowed them to, uh, there was a stoppage, and then once, you know, they were pretty, you know, the ref said, like, you know, once on my signal, the whistle will blow, and then the clock begins, they were able to get a field goal in a 14, and then it was 14 to 3 at the half. That's a crucial thing right there. Let's say that didn't happen, you know, it's a three-point yeah. game. And, uh, yeah, the Steelers only lose by three. Oh, well, I mean, okay, fine, but you never know. They could have maybe made different play calls to manage to try and get down the field more. Right. I mean, yeah, again, yeah. you never know. What you never happen. know, but still, 
this is crazy. I feel like I'm kind of like speechless right now. I really didn't expect this to happen. I'm, I'm glad that it's happening during our episode right now. I think that's the, the best thing that could have happened. Nothing like some live coverage of this game. But, yeah, we'll see what happens for the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> I think now, you know who's the biggest fan of this right now? The Chiefs. Kansas City Chiefs. They, I mean, realistically, probably, are they, they're probably set up to get the first round by now, right? Yeah, they probably, they're probably definitely going to have the strength of schedule tiebreaker. So. Yeah, exactly. So, Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs fans are happy. Uh, I'm wondering if, you know, who knows what's going to happen for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Do they collapse to end the season? Or do they manage to keep things going and this was just one loss that they're going to put behind them? We'll see what happens there. And we'll see if the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kansas City Chiefs end up, you know, meeting in the playoffs at some point. But, yeah, we'll see if any, obviously, any news pops up for anything. Maybe any press conference issues or whatever that we'll make sure to cover. But let's continue our talk. We have two more topics remaining. Since we're on the topic of the Pittsburgh Steelers in that division, another team that I'm sure is happy about this Pittsburgh Steelers loss are the Cleveland Browns. And my question to you is, are they a legit threat in the AFC? Now that, you know, maybe there's a chance somehow that they can win the division. I mean, it's could happen. Yeah, math checks out. They're 9-3. and three. They just beat the now 8-4 and four Titans, 41-35. They managed to, like, stomp them in the beginning. It was looking like it was going to be a blowout. But the, the Titans managed to get back into the game. But either way, Baker Mayfield threw for 334 yards and four touchdowns. Nick Chubb ran for 80 yards on 18 carries with a touchdown. And then Rashad Higgins and Jarvis Landry led in targets. Higgins managed to get 95 yards and a touchdown, while Landry, 62 yards and a touchdown. Those are definitely the top two wide receivers for them. Now with Odell Beckham Jr. being out with that torn ACL. Yeah, Peoples-Jones also had a long touchdown. Yeah, well, I just really wanted to... Highlight the top targets, but yes, Peoples-Jones played well. They have a lot of weapons on that offense, and uh, you know you only think if Odell, again, in a situation like with Barkley and the Giants, if Odell didn't get hurt, who knows how mm-hmm. even more yeah. lethal this offense could be. But I want to ask, do you see the Cleveland Browns as a legit threat in the AFC? Um, I don't know. You know, coming into the year, we knew we had they had all these weapons. They had the two great backs, the two great receivers, and honestly, two great tight ends. David Njoku's not great, you know, to the likes of Nick Chubb, Odell, and Jarvis. But Austin Hooper and David Njoku are both very above-average tight ends. They've got two playmakers in every position. They have a star-studded offensive line to protect Baker and for the run game. Definitely have the pieces on offense. They got Denzel Ward, Miles Garrett on defense. They have playmakers everywhere you look. They have the complete roster to may to be competitive in this league. And they showed it this week against the Titans. You know, when they lost to the Steelers a couple weeks back, everyone said they're a fluke, you know, they only beat up on the bad teams and they are not that good, but um they certainly look good against the first place Tennessee Titans, who just railroaded the Colts last week. You know, two top contenders in the league. Um, so yes, they definitely look good. I definitely think they can continue to make a run as long as Baker keeps playing like he did this week. Because up until this week, Baker had this did Baker had less passing yards than Dak Prescott, who hasn't played in a game since like week five. Yeah, yeah, that says something right there. But I look at this Cleveland Browns team, and they're in a you know. First-year head coach with Kevin Stefanski, who was the offensive coordinator for the Minnesota Vikings last year. And I think, you know, he's really done well with this job. Again, when you have the weapons, like you mentioned, in terms of 
Jarvis Landry, Rashad Higgins, now Donovan Peoples-Jones, you know, emerging, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, <laughs> Alex's water bottle making a little bit of noise there, but then Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, I mean, how could you not do well when you're yeah, calling plays for those guys? I mean, and just good. imagine if they had Odell Beckham Jr., who, again, many people thought, you know, maybe he could have been the issue there in Cleveland. They weren't really playing well at, you know, in the beginning of the season. Yeah, they had a good win over the Cowboys, but, you know, when he didn't get Cowboys the ball, he, when Odell Beckham Jr. didn't get the ball, he made sure a lot of people knew it. You know, that's just the type of guy he is. He's a little bit of a drama queen. Everybody in sports, everybody in the NFL knows that. But I really like what I'm seeing from this Cleveland Browns team. Let's take a look, because I actually didn't get a chance to look at this. Let's look at the Cleveland Browns' schedule. I know for sure they have one more game against the Steelers left. Which, again, the Steelers lose I, one more. For sure, I know they have one more game against the New York Jets. <laughs> that, yeah, or, yeah. Oh, wow, look at this. Okay. That's, Ooh. We could be in for a pretty good Week 17 matchup if the Steelers manage to lose one more game before that. The Browns, you have the Ravens. I think they can win, mm-hmm. definitely. The Giants will be a tough one, just based off how the defense plays, but there's a chance for a W there. The Jets should be a easy W. And then, to finish out the season, you have the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. Could potentially be for the division. You never know. That's pretty insane. And you think about it, too, again... We're talking about the 11-0 Steelers, who we thought, okay, yeah, that's a clear cut, maybe, you know, number one seed, whatever the case is. But now, you know... But, I mean, you look at the Steelers' direction, I mean, they only really need to win one more game to clinch the division. Yeah, and then let's... I mean, they could lose the next three, but as long as they win at Week 17, they're 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 all right. And now we're looking at the Steelers' schedule for the rest of the way. You have Buffalo. Shuffle over to Buffalo. And then you have the Cincinnati Bengals. The Indianapolis Colts and the Cleveland Browns. So I think they definitely have a tougher schedule compared to the Browns in those three weeks before they match yeah, up. Yeah, I mean you could definitely see them losing to the the Colts and the Bills. Yeah, Bengals probably not. Probably not. Especially the Bengals with is... Joe Burrow. You never know. But Joe Burrow. I'm saying no. I'm saying if he was healthy, oh, like yeah. if he was there, you never know. Just because. No, but yeah, the, the... Bengals to the in the Steelers schedule is just like the Jets on the Browns schedules. It's it's like a practice for them. Yeah. So we'll see what happens with the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Cleveland Browns going forward. I'm really looking forward to that type of, uh, you know, that matchup and that division and see what's going to be happening there. But let's keep our talks going here on diving into the end zone. And let's get to Jalen Hurts, a guy that, you know, going into this season, we we really weren't sure if we're going to be seeing him that much. But the Philadelphia Eagles, as we know, have not looked too good this year. Carson Wentz has looked awful this year. He's been a turnover machine. I know. Alex My is... My fantasy quarterback. And how is that going for you? Uh, going pretty good. I have the most points in the league. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but now you're going to have to look to maybe start somebody else because Jalen Hurts checked into the game against the Packers on Sunday and managed to throw for 109 yards and a touchdown. But also, when there's good... There is bad, especially when you're a rookie quarterback. There was one interception as well. But with that being said, I liked what I saw from Jalen Hurts. I thought the touchdown pass was a pretty good throw. But again, we didn't see much of him. And I'm not sure if we're going to be seeing more. It really depends on what Doug Peterson wants to do there. 
as the head coach of the Eagles. But I want to ask you this. Is the Carson Wentz era officially done in Philly? I don't know about officially done. Because uh, we talked about on the show before that long, lengthy, uh, lucrative contract he signed. I thought it was a long time ago, but it was only last offseason. So he's still got three years left on that contract and a lot of money to be paid out. This is true because so, that's not that expandable. A, you can't see a team trading for him the way he's played this year with that contract. B, it makes absolutely zero sense with the amount of money they're going to have to owe him for the Eagles to straight up just cut him. But Jalen Hurts did provide a spark. He looked okay passing the ball. Obviously, yeah. you know he can run the ball. Obviously, maybe we get a little like Lamar type of offense. Design the offense more around Jalen Hurts' running ability. He might look a little better, but he looked okay throwing the ball. I mean, can't can't do much worse than how Carson Wentz has looked this year. This is true. So I mean, you have to wait for uh, Doug Peterson's decision this week. He's always been one of those coaches who likes to go against the grain. I was surprised after Jalen Hurts threw for the touchdown that he didn't just put Carson Wentz right back out there. And speaking of Doug Peterson, too, he's the type of guy that right now is being looked at as possibly being on the hot seat in Philly. Yeah, I mean, they didn't. Ever since the Super Bowl, they have not looked great. Yeah. I mean, they won the division last year, but the division the was division. awful last year. Yeah. So, you know, you think about it, you know, we don't even know the future of Doug Peterson as well. And, you know, you really made a. You brought up a good point about Carson Wentz's contract because that is going to be impossible to move. I don't expect any team wanting to trade for him, like you said, because of the play that he's, you know, been doing this year. But then, on top of that, I mean, if you're gonna, if any team would be interested, they're only probably gonna give up like seventh, round, seventh pick. round pick because of how bad the contract is. Mm-hmm. The and contract yeah. wasn't so bad. Maybe you can get a fifth or fourth round pick, but because of the contract being that bad. The Eagles aren't going to get anything for him. Yeah, like I said, do I think the era hit Carson Wentz in Philly is over? Absolutely not with that contract. Do I think he's going to be the starter going forward next year? Maybe not. Maybe they just put him on the bench and just rock the money. Just yeah, be like it's yeah, a... Who knows? Is he going to be there? Probably. Is he going to be the starter? Who knows? Yeah. And if I if I had to, I think you have to let Jalen Hurts finish out the season. You're looking at if you're the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean. I don't think you see this as you're probably not winning the division. You gotta see what you can get out of him. Let him get some experience. And then that could be these next four weeks can be your decision for next year. I think I think that's the best evaluation at time. At the same time, you go into next year, it's gonna be a competition anyway. I mean, yeah. I mean, because I mean, even if he does great in these next four games, he has a four game period of time he's done well. You look at Carson Wentz, he had a whole season where he was the MVP frontrunner until he got hurt. So, you know the talent's there, and you know he's capable of being that MVP-type quarterback. Yeah. It's just whether or not he can find it again. The Eagles are so confusing, too, as just a team. I mean, I feel like there's just a lot of a lot of them, too. A lot of these, you know, during the Super Bowl run, these guys that were good are just older now, and they're more fragile, and... I just, I mean, think about it. Alshon Jeffrey was a guy that, you know, made a big impact that season. He was not healthy the whole year, and clearly, even when he is healthy, he's not making an impact on the field. He's caught one pass all year. Yeah. Lane Johnson, who was a big part of that run, 
He's still one of the better tackles in the league, but he's older, and he he's even came out and said it. Yeah, he's banged up. He's out for the year now with an angle, angle injury. He said it feels like everything's shattered in there. Jason Peters is a guy that they brought back this offseason for depth, but again, out of retirement. definitely not somebody you want in your starting lineup. Even Jason Kelsey, too, who was one of the better centers in the league. Maybe you could still say he is, but again, he's older. He's not playing the same way. On the defensive side of the ball, Fletcher Cox doesn't have much left in the NFL. He's still playing at a good level, but he's also older. Yeah, I just Brandon Brooks too. Here's a guy that what tore his meniscus in the in the preseason, or no, there was no preseason training camp. So he was out for the year, but again, he's getting older by the by the years too. I mean, yeah, he's gonna be 32 heading into next year. The Eagles, I mean, you have to maybe consider a rebuild, but at the same time, you we need to figure out what's going on with Carson Wentz. They're just in a bad situation right now. Yeah. There's no other way to no, put it. No other way to put it. No sure code in that one. Yeah, they have a stick. I mean, the defense, to the credit, is still playing very well, and they are running the ball the ball above average. But you know, it's hard to keep running the ball when you're constantly down. Yeah, and you always forget too that they managed to have Miles Sanders on that team, who has been one of the better running backs in the league, and then also pairing him up with Boston Scott too. Boston Scott has looked really good, especially when Sanders was hurt. So, again, like always, we'll see what happens going forward with the Philadelphia Eagles. And if any news pops up with them and Carson Wentz, I'm sure we'll be bringing it up in future episodes. But before we head out, I want to ask Alex, see if he has any last thoughts that maybe he didn't get in or anything to bring up before we head out. Uh, I mean, uh, I think we covered just about everything. I mean, you look at the Jaguars trying to get a win here. You know, maybe they're not trying, but we're hoping they are. I mean, (laughs) every guy on the field's trying to win. Maybe not their fans want them to win, or but they're not trying to lose. I know, I know. And uh, but Gardner Minshew healthy? Maybe, maybe not. Mike Glennon's still the starter. Why? Why is he still the starter? Gardner Minshew's got to be in there. But that's that's about it, really. And uh, I think we covered a lot today. Yeah, and I guess you know, really, the only last thought that I wanted to bring up is when you uh, mentioned David Njoku. I wanted to say how. This season, you know, he's been trying to, he asked for a trade, obviously was not granted his wishes, you know, maybe his opinions could have changed, you know, just because of how they're doing this season, but again, he's clearly not the starter there, so I feel like in the offseason, he's still going to be wanting out, maybe that's a potential target for the Jets at tight end, a low risk, high reward type of guy, you know, pair him up still with Chris Herndon, I want to give Chris Herndon one more year, because he still has it on his deal. With a different coaching staff, give him one last shot. But I just wanted to throw that out there. I feel like that could be a good fit. Mm-hmm. Again, low risk, high reward type of thing. Yeah, definitely. So we'll see what happens there again. But I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode of Diving Into the End Zone. Alex Warner, Dominic Arbolino. Everybody have a good night. And make sure to listen next week.